Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. And tonight we're going to talk about what happens when you've done all this wonderful work, creating a beautiful world, and then you have to release it to the jackals. I mean the players. <coughs> Almost choked on my wine. <coughs> oh. oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, in the SCA, uh, they said, what's the most popular wine in the SCA? And the response was, I want to go to Panzix. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is all the the big meeting they yep. do once a year yep. up in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Gaming so, on the Frontier, folks. Yeah. Yep. We'll make fun of everybody. Your what your one stop shop for all things gaming nerdy and um, and you know covering at least a, a, a decade. <laughs> so today's topic is. Uh, the campaign pitch and the session zero. Uh, what happens when you are ready to start a new campaign and you're ready to sell it to your players so that they'll buy in? When I'm sending them off, I'm, I'm giving them the materials that they might find useful. And then I'm saying, all right, so over the next week or two weeks until our next session, think of what you want to play. Don't don't quite put anything down just yet, or at least nothing in, in stone just yeah. yet. But think about what you you might want to play. How your how what kind of character you want to play that fits into this setting in this world, and so that then when we come back, we have session zero where this is for me. When I'm, again when I'm dealing with new players, I like to do character creation altogether. Yeah, I know that's not always a possibility. You know, especially as we get older and we have you know life, more time constraints life. and life. Just yeah. life. But yeah. <laughs> ideally. Ideally, I like to have, especially for new new groups and new campaigns, I like to have character creation all together so that they can work together to fulfill, you know, the roles. So we don't have two characters, you know, stepping on each other's toes without addressing it in some shape. Yeah, that, that's something that I have in my games is, okay, you guys can have the same type of general skills. Like, yeah, we may have two tinkerers. But one's a tech tanker, and the other one is our artificer who does all the magic items. You're both mm-hmm. creating things. It's just different versions. Or, yeah, we have two fighters. One's an archer who can fire, you know, six arrows in a round, and the other one is sword and shield, and yeah. So, yeah, you, you, wanna, you can have similar stuff, but only at a basic level. Yeah, so that's why I like I tell them just come up with a, a gen- general concept. Like it can be as detailed as you want. It's like I want to play a fighter, mage, you know, elven fighter mage that does this and this and this. Or it can be as basic as you know, generalized as like I just want to play a sneaky guy. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Or you know, or if if they don't even know what they want to play, they just know they want to have a specific backstory. Hey, that's fine. Just come to the session with. Whatever concept you want to play, whatever attracts you, and then together at the table with the other players, we can work on building the character that is what you want to play, and also 
help avoid stepping on other players' toes. Because if two players want to play the, the backstabbing sneaky thief, having one in a party can already be disruptive and... You, Throwing two in there? Well, uh, yeah. Cue the Emerald Rose song, Never Split the Party. And always keep that. <laughs> and always keep your rogue within sight. Yeah, never let your damn thief out of sight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's something that's good. You mentioned about players interacting with each other in character creation. Because mm-hmm. that's where often, if, you, if they all have a knowledge of a setting, if you've told them, okay, my setting is this and this and this and there's this. You can have the one guy who goes, okay, I know of the other character by reputation. He's saying he's this sneaky guy and supposedly he's never been caught. Yeah, I've heard of this guy and I'm, you know, I I bump into him and I realize I know of him by reputation. The players oftentimes will do this where they, and I've had this in my my experience, where they'll come up with these connections on their own in whatever passes for session zero. Yeah, and this is a good chance for that for that to happen outside of the actual game so that if there's a connection a player doesn't want like you know it's like i've heard of you no you don't i i specifically do not want to be known i you know that that kind of thing they can work out ahead of time yeah you know it's like okay maybe i haven't heard of you i've heard of i've heard of your most recent exploit how about that it's like okay that would work yeah you know and that's the thing because they want to be so secretive and like no you and they get a little bossy no you haven't heard of me my character, right. and they get a little snooty. It's like, no, my character's that good. Things happen, but you don't know who did it. Right. Yeah. This is a chance that you can kind of help smooth that over. That early yeah. Is, yeah. 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 Um, and it's also a chance where you can make sure that, especially if you're playing a game like D and D that has these these typical like combat roles or even non combat roles within a game, that you've got them covered, or you know maybe you don't have them covered, but at least as the DM you'll know that ahead of time. Yeah, we may be we may have a cleric, but we don't have a wizard. Yeah, we he heals and he has all his protective spells, but don't expect him to be doing anything like fireball or lightning bolt until later when he gets flame strike or whatever, or um, holy word or whatever. Yeah, and so you kind of know, okay, we're gonna have to make do until such time they get we either get a character who does this or. They get high enough where their spells can do it anyways. They just don't get it as they would as a wizard. Yeah. And, and yeah, having, again, having a group that you are with, they tend to realize, okay, you usually end up with a well-rounded group by the time you are done with Session Zero, ready to go. Roles that you need right. are filled. But if you're dealing with a whole new group of players... They're, yeah, they, they may... Well, I mean, if they're, like, totally new into gaming and they're, like, uh, I believe you youngins, noobs, I believe is the term. <laughs> um, exactly. You kids in your terms today. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's with... You get this totally new person, they may not get the concept of the well-rounded team, which usually in d is fighter, wizard, cleric, rogue. Okay, you got pretty yeah. much all the bases covered. Or if you have a bard, okay, they're the mouthpiece and they got some magic. They're like the jack-of-all-trades. And, yeah, yeah, this is the good time to make sure that overlapping is not done. Everybody has a role and uh, a point that Bruce makes often. Everybody is going to have a chance to get spotlight time. Because, oh, I have this one ability and it's intrinsic to this party. And I want to be able to do it. And, okay, yes. Foul staff, the foul staff, the mighty, 
you know, hits with his massive hammer and, you know, lays the bad guy out, you know, or yeah. the wizard gets his fireball chance. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And depending on the size of your group, you might have, you know, some roles that get doubled up and, you know, of course that's fine. You know, and this is where you can kind of, you know, again, where you can kind of say, all right, well, we have two wizards here. Well, this one, you seem like you might be geared more for the DPS. So let me make some suggestions and see how you like that. Yeah, you might be more for like a support role and and buffing the party. So let me let me make some suggestions towards that front. That's what I do like about when I run OGL and especially Pathfinder First Edition. They have all these archetypes where you switch out certain class features. Rogues, I mean, you can switch out uncanny dodge, evasion, trap finding, trap sense. Certain rogue talents might be more applicable to this one. So you could have, if you get a big enough party, you could have two people playing rogues. And because of switching out the class features, they are totally different characters, yet they're both rogues. They both have the same, you know, progressions as far as hit die, base attack bonus saves, but their class features are different. So you have intrinsically two separate characters, even though they're the same class. And so when you mm-hmm. get bigger games like that, bigger groups, yeah, you can sit there and start to double up, but you ha- still can switch and have enough variation on that same yeah. theme. You could have, and, and the good thing about, like, D, you know, D&D, Pathfinder, OGL, you know, your typical classes, there's like nine different schools of magic. So like Jonathan mentioned about well, you're more this DPS, mm-hmm. so that'd be more evocation class. And the buffing class might be like, you know, the, the support group, he might be an illusionist. Or he might be a, di- a diviner. Where, yeah, my, I, I can find out about the par- what the party's going to deal with before so we can plan better. Yeah, And if you're pulling from additional, like, supplements... There, I think there's probably at least four or five more schools of magic that can be, uh, be learned in D&D yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have the Not basic necessarily nine. schools, but like Sub-schools and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, they have sub, uh, sub-schools, and for clerics, they have, um, like, schools for clerics. Domains. Domains, thank you. They have a lot of stuff, OGL stuff, for subdomains, And I think a lot of it's in, like, Ultimate Magic, where they have, oh, this is the healing domain, and then there's this. Or there's the death domain in this, or... Knowledge, and then there's artificing, where, yeah, you have knowledge, but now you use it to build stuff, so you get the spells like Make Whole, Major Creation, you know. Yeah, and with bigger groups, if you're game mastering eight people, yeah, you have time for a little bit of bleed over and rolls, but usually your game system that you're running, it usually, from what I've seen, is enough where you can still not totally step on each other's toes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and even if you have two very similar builds, sometimes all it takes is a little bit of, like, backstory difference and character difference to make the difference between them. Well, yeah, you could have two fighters, but okay, one was trained as a knight, and he is, you know, virtuous, and he, you know, is gallant in combat, and you can have another guy, he's a back-alley bare-knuckle brawler. They're both Mm -hmm. fighters, but believe you me, their styles are going to be different. That, that, um... Even if they have the same build, as long as, yeah. as you're okay with it, and if the, these are the characters these players really want to play, you know, as long as they're different, you can make it work. Yeah. And this is a chance to get the ideas before, again, before you, you launch into that first game. Yeah, choices of equipment make a big difference. You know, like if one's a, uh, you know, uh, a, a 
a Florentine type fighter and the other one's like a big battle axe type oh, yeah. fighter. Those those are two different styles and and sometimes the equipment kind of narrates the uh, the personality of the person mm-hmm. when using it. You know, you can expect the one with the more Florentine style would be more wisecracking, more taunting or whatever, while the other one is like, hey, you know, I see a place for my axe. Yeah. <laughs> my axe my axe would look good in your skull right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it does, that works especially well if it's if that particular fighter is female, by the way. <laughs> I, I love where you, you take the little girl and you give her a big honk yeah, axe. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> let her go to town. It's like, you know, he says, that's not, you know, uh, that that's not very ladylike. <laughs> Who cares um, about ladylike? Yeah. I need your brains on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of the now I'm thinking of the song Rage by Yazik for Man Shorts, yeah. But yeah, so that's once you've kind of have gotten this input of what the characters want to play and you've kind of worked over any any overlap, you know, and and either found a way to to make the overlap work or to to make it not overlap anymore and make sure no one's stepping on anyone's toes too much, then you can actually get the players to work together, work up any connections they want to have if any. And then you can actually get them to start creating their characters with you there to help, again, point in the direction like, you know, okay, we've got this character, we've worked out this concept for your character now. You want to be a, a holy fighter, not a paladin, just a very devout fighter who's going along this path. So here's here's my suggestions for what you might want to do. You might want to focus on this. Of course, you know, again, if you're dealing with more experienced players, more veteran players, especially veteran players who have been with you for a while. Yeah. You might not need this, you know. Oh no, can... no, no! Uh, Carrie makes her own characters, and the thing is, Carrie is one of the few people in my playing group that knows the rules better than I do. Mm-hmm. And so there are times I have to look over her characters to make sure that, yeah, she's a third level character and can take on sixth level by herself. Wait, hold it. Okay, no, these feats are not being used. <laughs> and I adore Carrie. Um, this is the roommate's former girlfriend. She since moved out to Baltimore and lives there, so she skypes it. There are times she and I are sitting there. Either Facebook Messenger or I'll drag around Skype. It's like, okay, no, you are reading this wrong. This is how I'm reading it. We get into semantics wars, and if you know me, that oh, yeah. usually doesn't end well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm sitting there and having to, there are some, most of the, and I said, my players have been with me for a while. Uh, again, I have them <clears throat> urinate me a large body of salt water, and from, and I said, don't, don't miss on any detail. I usually have, you know, I'll make the characters for them, and it's something I've come to realize now, especially using OGL and all the various things I have. I can usually come up with two to three different builds for a character, just depending on, okay, what's going to work based on the campaign, the setting, and how this 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 person wants to do yeah. this. Especially if they have, like, spells or powers or abilities or, you know, psi or whatever. Yeah, then I'm going to have to sit there. It's a little more work for me, but in the end... And I'll keep up contacts. Oh, by the way, you didn't tell me about this. Oh, okay, they know how to do this. Okay, add this in. Yeah. And usually I've not, they've not been disappointed in me whipping up a character for them. And if I and if I don't do it, Carrie will help because and I tell them, no, she knows these rules better than I do. And I just have to tell her, okay, Carrie, you can't make it too intricate. I know you want to use this book, but this is their <laughs> first game. Just you, you give them something easy. Stick to core rules. Well, no, not that. Um, oh gosh, Friday game. Carrie and Gina 
uh, my one friend who's the petrochemical engineer, she had, we used the Path of War books from Dreamscart Press, which are basically Pathfinder's third-party rewrite of the Toma Battle Book of Nine Swords from Wizards. Mm. And so when Carrie was still here in Detroit, she came up with color-coded cards, hand-wrote all of them. These are your stances. These are your strikes. These are your boosts. These are your counters. These are the combinations you can use them in. In, a, in an attack, you can do a boost with a strike. So use a yellow card or the red card. And after a while, Gina got... This was the, the Bureau 13 Black Powder campaign. This was the Irish Catholic woman with the blessed shotgun. And so, <laughs> no. And there's, there's distance attack maneuvers in these books. So after a while, Gina got really good mix and match it. She just had to, okay, what's this one? Is this, this? And it, uh, I want to do this effect. I want to do a disarm and not just, you know, pure damage. So after a while, Gina got really good. And it was just Carrie helped me with character creation for Rowan. And Gina got pretty good with Rowan after a while. She realized, okay, a yellow and a blue card, put those together. Oh, I can do dual strike. Okay. A yellow and two blue cards. Okay. And she hands me the cards, and I'm looking at these going, yeah, the character's already dead. I can tell what the damage you're going to do. This character's going to die. I'll let, I will allow you as your game master the visceral thrill of actually rolling the dice for damage. So, yeah. <laughs> so, if you have more experienced players in your game group, and then you get the newbie in, enlist the help of... And a lot of times, and especially in my group, we, we love new, fresh blood because we will help them out and let them realize just how much we know about this game system. Um, have the players help in character creation. Even if it's you're all at the same level, that interchange of ideas back and forth. Oh, wait a minute. What about like this character? And what about this one from this show? And yeah, that's all part of the collaborative storytelling. Yeah, you just want to be careful that you're not having the the new player's character dictated to them. No, no, no. Again, that right. um, oh, that's a weird way of... Um, the players railroading, which usually that's that's a that's a GM problem. Yeah, that that's right. like getting your dad a computer and then building the way you want and not what he needs. Yeah, yeah. Not mentioning anybody, my brother. Um, and again, it kind of depends. Like I, I, because I tend to run a little bit more open, narrative driven as opposed to combat driven, even in D anD. D. Yeah, I don't really need characters to be min max to survive my games they don't have to be munchkined so to speak yeah although i depending on like for my bronze age campaign i would definitely recommend the players min max at least their stats just to survive because i I plan on it being a you know very rough game it's a very brutal environment bronze age yeah was just the very beginnings of civilization but my more fantasy land campaign the, the the more classic fantasy land campaign is going to be you know yeah just play what you want if it's not opt if it's not an optimal build we'll make it work we'll have fun yeah so, so you know and that's kind of again why i like to be there when the characters are being made yeah another reason is so that i can fill in details because if you know the characters wanting to specifically for my fantasy land campaign i haven't done hardly any work on the gods that exist in this world because part of the hook for this world is that most of the gods have been killed and there's only a few that are are left that are trying to reclaim their power and there's plenty of space for some new ones to crop up so 
if a character wants, if a player wants to to play a, a cleric of a a domain that I hadn't thought of, yeah, and or, or of a particular personality that they want to play this cleric, I'm like, okay, yeah, I I could think I can come up with a god for you real quick. Yeah, how about this guy? Well, the, the good thing is, is if okay, oh, the, all these gods have now died. At the most, you can just do some cliff notes on what that god was, just for reference. You don't need to well, flesh them yeah. out. It's just like, oh yeah, this god of the old pantheon was the god of healing, and he had this, this, and this. Okay, he's dead. But this is for reference for your yeah. your players to know this was the old god who had this 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 portfolio and domain. And yeah, right. But it's also a chance for you to see what okay, what parts of my campaign world are the characters. Or the players showing interest in is like, you know, are are all the characters mercenaries? <laughs> are they all just the wandering mercs? Okay, well then, I don't have to worry about necessarily fleshing out, you know, the backstory of this village very much because nobody comes from this village. Yeah. If they're all, you know, want to be friends who all grew up together, well then they all probably did come from this village. Yep. I probably need to work out. <laughs> Their history in this village together. Yeah, yeah. Get out the kingdom rules and make sure that you said, oh, we used to hide it behind the church, and well, then you may mm-hmm. better make sure that this is a heck of a church then. Yeah. So, yeah, this, and this, you can also suggest things like if a character, if a player character is like, you know, well, I have this, I have this random background that, you know, what, how would I explain that in my, in my, like, like as, as far as like D&D, you can have an actual, you know, background that has a mechanical effect on your character. Yeah. Like traits How would I put yeah. write that into my backstory? And I was like, okay, well, here's some suggestions. If you, if you have this background, then you might have come from here or here, or you might have come from here. Yep. You might have done this, and you might not have even thought of that stuff up, but now it's part of your campaign. And so now you, this is the time where you can go ahead and start getting some of that backstory and flesh out your campaign world. Well, because they might even throw in backstory, their backstory might help enhance this world. It's something you hadn't yeah, thought yeah. of, and it's like, well, yeah, my character, th- this village, you know, it also had a mine, and so, yeah, I've got levels in knowledge to engineering because I know I studied the rock formations there, and... And now I know where to put the next knoll raid on a village. Right, and so that, <laughs> that you can have that thrown in, it's like, okay, yeah, it's in a mountainous area, but I didn't think of a mine. Okay, yeah, this works. And again, that's all part of the collaborative storytelling that is tabletop role-playing. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it doesn't necessarily always have to come from in the heat of the moment through the campaign. It could start in session zero. Yeah, you can get you can go ahead and start. This gives you another chance to go ahead and start thinking up some of those side plots that you're going to throw at your players later. You know, the, the old friends from their dark past coming back to extract a, you know, a favor. You hadn't thought about it until you actually were there for the creation of that character and you know, getting to see their backstory and help it maybe even help write it or at least alter it to fit your world better. Yeah, there was in, in the FTL game that I'm wrapping up and then I must do the hinterland. I had the NPC have a plot line. Well, we're about to go on this major adventure that's going to change his campaign world forever. And I thought, crap, I never did this plot line. So I'm going to, um, he was a Tugan, if you know the FTL thing. Uh, he was basically an MMA fighter, and before they got involved in this whole adventure, his now former manager stole all of his money, because Tugan's not all that bright, so he just accepted what the manager said at face value. Yes, Tugan signed contract. And so now it's like, <laughs> oh no, we have the means to get back. We're going after this manager. This is personal. 
this is something. <laughs> and for Carrie and Gina are like, yeah, let's do this. And they know, yeah, it's going to be sort of Tugan-centric, but they're going to put their own spin on everything and, you know, help out their their poor, very strong but dim-witted friend who got screwed back before, you know, the four of them met up. And, yeah, right. it's just something, yeah, it, it you want to make sure that if you have a character with a backstory and there's a certain arc that they are trying to get through in this campaign, it's kind of your responsibility as a GM to keep that on the back burner and say, your job is just to find, okay, when do I do it? We're going to play out this character arc. I just have to figure, oh, okay, we're in this pause in this particular thing. Oh, and they're heading toward this town where this guy wants to get revenge for being maimed as a kid. Okay, yeah, we can do this. And this is also a chance when you're doing this, your Session Zero campaign character creation session is as a good chance to also see like how important is the backstory to this player because if they're building if their backstory says one thing but then they're building a you know the actual stats for the character barely even re- reflect that well okay obviously their backstory isn't that important you might suggest they clean it up if if they want or if you know however you want to handle that but you get an idea okay they they're more interested in the mechanics so i i, I know i can Probably need to throw them a little bit more mechanical stuff, like, you know, actual challenges or combats. Well, this one's every single decision they seem to make about their character's stats and abilities are based off their backstory. Okay, they're more interested, they're probably going to be more interested in narrative. We need to, I need to make sure I take a good look at that backstory and find all the the ways we can make use of that. Yeah, that that's where, oh, my character wishes to be the greatest minstrel player in the land as I am so-and-so the bard, and I wish to, you know, become famous through my exploits. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. they're going to be making sure that they do things to boost their charisma, boost their skill, get the best loot, possibly get a magical loot. Unless they want to be the inept bard that wants to be the best, and then, you know, you can help them. If they want to play it entirely slapstick, comedic, and just be that way, yeah. Does I I don't know, has anybody ever done that? I, I, I hear about this sort of thing, but I've never actually seen somebody play uh, an inept character intentionally, except except for if it was a class like the uh, the idiot class. I have wanted, I wouldn't say like an inept character, but an inept in the thing they want to be, as opposed to what they really are good at. So like I could see myself want playing a a fighter who's really good fighter, but he wishes he was a bard. He really wishes he could be the, the, the best bard in the land. But all he's learned is fighting. That's all he can do. At least, you know, with any skill. I think that might be fun a fun character to play. Yeah, that, I think that goes back into the collaborative part of, yes, I made this town, it's in the mountains, but your other character comes up with, well, there was this mine we played in. Well, I never said there wasn't a mine, so okay. Exactly, and, and, yeah. So now there's a mine. And you get the, you know, it's the... You know the referee from Celebrity Deathmatch. I'll allow it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like one, like in my again referring to like my Bronze Age campaign, the one of the main story elements, uh, sort of plot hooks, is that you know it's the birth of the human civilization, and it's it's set in the same world as my Fantasyland campaign. Oh, okay, it's just yeah. the you know the- prequel, so to speak. But it is the idea being that I kind of ha- do have a requirement that all the player characters come from the same village that has just cast off the the yoke of their yon masters most of the slaves in this village are human yeah. 
But if I have a player who really wants to play a dwarf or an elf or something, well, this would be the time for me to make up how they got there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I see, yeah. No, no, the really funny thing is, yeah, I want to play a UNT. Yeah, he realizes that his people were wrong. You do realize that everybody is going to hate you always. You're going to be always viewed as suspicious. I still want to play it because it has these abilities. Okay. I have it listed as, you know, suggested races, a yawn, a yawn tea pl- pure blood. <laughs> Just so I can have that interaction if a player's up because, for it. Because, yeah, you're going to be getting some people really just being, you know, racist SOPs. It's like, your people enslave my people. What what do we want from you? But I'm not like that. You're be- that's re- And that's where the, the, the character... That is racial profiling, sir. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be the time where I step in and say, more than likely... You were also enslaved. You fell out of grace, and that, and so you were also enslaved with the rest of the. So you are apes. stuck between two worlds. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you were of the race of the enslavers, but you fell out of favor, so nobody likes you. Yeah, yeah. and it's and and that, and that's the thing I would tell the player: if you're up for that, I am all for it, baby. I will run it with you. But understand, this is this is the situation you're playing. If you play that, yeah, race. this is what I'm going to tell you now. So there's full transparency. This is what you're going to deal with. Nobody's going to like you. Everybody's going to want to, you know, turn you into alligator bag. Just we're going to put that right out there. Is again, uh, Z. Are you cool? Well, no, Z and I. We were talking about this. It's when a player is doing something in a game, and we say, "Are you sure?" Yes. And then you lower <laughs> the glasses and look over them and go, "Are you sure?" Are you really? Yeah, sure? because that 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 that's that's GM talk for. If you do this, bad things are going to happen, and everybody at the table is going to throw stuff at you, and it won't be soft. They're going to be hurling dice bags and books at you if you do this. I'm warning you now, nicely. Yeah, but it will make great stories later. Oh yeah, you know, because <laughs> it always does. And sometimes you take that as a, like a negative to your character because it gives you another bonus that you might be able to use and it feeds the GM because it allows him to tell, he or she to tell um, better stories as a result because of the conflicts that you inevitably create yeah. when you do that sort because of thing. Don't forget, this is the, the gist of, of what we do is all about conflict resolution. Yeah. No story is is a story without some sort of conflict. So if you can provide me more ideas and more opportunities for conflict, I am going to lap yeah, it up. Yeah, well, num, well num, that's num. the thing. See, if this yeah. is a new group and doing this, and okay, fine, you know, this is a good thing for storytelling. My group has gotten to the point, don't give Trav any damn ideas. <laughs> he has too many now as it is. Look at the books on his table. Don't encourage him. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, if they are new players, you want them to understand yes. before they go in, hey, this is a conflict point. This could this could be a hassle. So if you don't want to deal with this. We're warning you now because all of a sudden you're going to want to bail out of this after, oh, I don't like this. This, this sucks. You, we warned yeah. you. Yeah. Your campaign could radically diverge from the initial direction that you pitched. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. You you always you never expect your campaign pitch to to go exactly as you plan. So yeah, but that's another thing. It's like by pitching it and then being there for the session zero, you can sometimes get an, an early indicator that things might deviate from what you initially had planned. But it, again, that means you got a little bit more time to to adjust and and you right. might and of course there's always a chance that you know during these these sessions uh, uh, 
especially the session zero where the characters are making you know, the players are making their characters and coming up with their backstories and, and possibly sharing their backstories and, and collaborating is where you could you know somebody will come up with an idea you hadn't thought of and you'll go oh that would be a great idea for a main villain forget the one i had i'm going to use that guy as my main villain you have this almost innate loyalty to your your fellow players characters because you were there at their creation you were there at their birth and sometimes you know a lot of times it's just a matter of hey i want to see what that guy can do i want to see how that guy's backstory is going to play out even if i have no other reason to to want to try and keep him in the party i just find that guy interesting i want to play with keep playing with him yeah so I'll, i'll i will bend what i can i will bend what i can to just keep them in in play yeah, I, I really hate the, uh, he's got a PC symbol over his head, so we've got to put up with whatever that, that character yeah. does. And I, see, and, that, and I see that as a big disruptor in campaigns. You know, that you know, people don't have an accountability to each other, but, you know, but they expect loyalty from each other. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I think you have to have both. You've got to, you, you, the, everybody's got to agree that, hey, we're all playing this game together, so we all need to play together. But if you can find the ways to, to get the narrative reason why they all work together, and again, this is something you can work on during your session zero when you're creating the characters. If you can work up a narrative reason why these characters stick together and work with each other, that's always a big help. Oh, yeah, because usually, what, what's the standard trope? You all happen to be in a tavern when, you know, this old man comes up and says, oh, I need a band of hardy adventurers to do that. Yeah, it's like the bond hopefully will build over time because, well, we've learned that we work well together. Let's stick together. But if you plan that, and I've done this where, okay, not everybody knows everybody, but A may know B and C. B may know Mm -hmm. D and F. C may know A and G. And so you know of each other in various factors, so you can all vouch for each other and realize, okay, my friend says these two people are good. I trust my friend, and I know this person. He brought those two. Yeah, and they know of me by reputation. And so if you you don't you don't need to have everybody know it. I mean, that's nice. You know, oh, we all came from the same small village. Fine. Mm-hmm. But you could have people from all over your campaign setting, but they just know of each other due to backstory, but they but only one or two. And it's that interconnect it's like the diorama there it's in that meme from It's Always Sunny or the diorama that uh RDJ's Holmes made and Watson walked in. Things like that with the pieces of yarn and the the, the push pins and yeah, everything is all interconnected together. It leads yeah. to B, leads to D, yeah. leads back to C. Yeah. Yeah, and and then that's the thing. I have every intention for my 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 fantasy land campaign. They're going to start in a tavern. That, that they're starting in the village tavern. That's just I already decided. And you, and you realize you're going to get players. some people that look at you and go, "Really?" <laughs> well, it's, gonna roll that. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of eye rolling. Oh, they are going to have to do no, it because I'm going to I'm going to play it up. But uh, I, I do also have the narrative reason because this is a small trade village. Yeah. The tavern literally is the center of the town, not just physically, but also economically and socially. It's the impromptu deal-making yeah. location. and it's also where all the characters yeah. are going to be when the goblins yeah, are Yeah, what was that that Eric the Enabler <laughs> always used to say? Oh, that's not trite, superfluous, and overdone. Yeah. <laughs> hey. 
tropes survive for a oh, reason. Oh, no, no, no. As I said, when I made uh, Fur's daughter's character, I want to play a fairy princess. Okay, even though this is Robotech and Nightbane. Fine. I looked for every damn trope there was. If there was a PDF, which there are PDFs <laughs> for making adventure princesses, kind of like Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. I dug through the folders upon folders, and this character is dead. And yeah, tropes are there for a reason. There are some tropes we still experience Game Master's roll our eyes over. The secret to playing a trope is to commit. The plucky kid sister is the one who's been banned <laughs> in my life. Oh no, yeah, it, it's kind of Alexis. Yeah, she's playing that where she can be annoyingly charming, but I, 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 I have it where it pays off her. Oh, the the base commander who be old enough to be her grandfather. You know, every so often Commander Holt will take Athena to the the, the commissary and they'll have ice cream together. You know, just a, you know, it's sort of that wink thing. Like, yeah, okay, come on, kid, let's go. But usually he's like. And and I'll and I'll play it up where, okay, you're riding in Gordon's car mech. Due to safety reasons, you have to have a booster seat in the car. Alexis looks at me, and all uh, and I'm all of us are looking, going, yes. "You're playing a perpetually eight year old girl, Alexis. This is an army base commander. Yeah, he knows you have the powers and all this, but while you're in his soldier's mech." You're in a booster seat. So every time, okay, I want to roll down the window and fire a spell. Okay, move action to get out of the car seat. And just, Alexis, just, and of course, she's eight, so she's looking up at me, giving me the, the tight lip grimace, like, you know, just... <laughs> the mother's there, just... And, and the... You chose uh-huh, the uh-huh, and the mother, and first just there, just hiding her, trying to keep from busting out laughing. Just, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, tropes are there for a reason, but if it works to get uh, a a session zero new group together new players sure yeah i have a player who plays a uh, gremlin which yeah. is like a three foot tall critter person right so i i make it a point uh, you know i i he spends 90 percent of his time invisible so of course nobody ever targets him stuff like that you know because of that, you know, uh, he's invisible. No one sees him. Okay, so I make a point of every time there's an opportunity for me to say, oh, and by the way, your invisibility is negated, uh, or at least it's not very appropriate. I like to bring that up. Like the last session where he's like, okay, I turn invisible. I say, okay, that's fine. But of course, people might notice the, you know, you moving through the, the foot deep snow that's on this yeah. icy mountainside. <laughs> Even though you're invisible, there's these really big holes that are suddenly appearing you as you still leave your footprints. Way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah, just yeah. footprints, but like leg holes, you know. So and he's like, Oh, yeah, I guess I guess I guess I won't be invisible then. I said, Well, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just simply saying <laughs> if you're trying to be unseen, it's not going to work. At least not from up close. <laughs> Well, I mean, his 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 he he, he didn't say, "Hey, uh, you over there with the big broad shoulders, how about if I ride on your shoulders for a while? That way, mm. I don't leave footprints and I'm still invisible." Doesn't say that, you know. He yeah. could, he could work with it. It's that fatal flaw in the plan, you know. Yeah. But it, he he wants, you know. All right. So, do we have anything else you guys want to talk about? Uh, any other ideas for pitching a campaign or or a session zero? Um, I, I, well, like I, I want to reiterate back this, it's really good to have a 
online or at least publicly mm. available playbook so that people have a, uh, a, a reference that the GM can look over and correct because people are always writing down bad notes about the campaign. They get things wrong. And, you know, it's okay initially for that to happen. It's bad in the long term if they continue with a big mistake because then they start making decisions yeah. that are going to be bad. So I, I, I think part of session zero is to at least present to the players as much, as you, you mentioned, as much uh, written down, hard-coded backstory as possible so they have an idea of what they can, what are their options of actions yeah. in the campaign. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. So I think that's important. And putting it online, like uh, Obsidian, Obsidian Portal, Portal. Portal. Portal, Obsidian Portal, or some of these other things. You know, some people do it on Roll Twenty, where they just simply their game has a uh, a journal section, having a shared Google Doc. Right, right. Some place where they can go and they can ask questions to the GM, so the GM doesn't have you know the GM can answer them before the next session or um, or, or or suggest stuff, uh, so that when they you know so they literally you know can maximize their table time. Because I, I find that's one of the biggest problems I have is, well, uh, it's not the biggest problem I have. <laughs> yeah, one of yeah, the biggest yeah. problem I have is the uh, is the fact that, that when we get we actually get to play, we only have a few hours, and I'm like, guys, come on, concentrate. We're, you know, do your axes. What are you going to do next? Come on, you know, don't don't wait for your turn to start thinking about what you want to do. You know, so but that's. That's another thing, but you know, yeah, anything that we could do to help, you know, create that sense of confidence so they can take actions and step, stretch their characters, you know, um, uh, motivation experiences, whatever it is they want to do is, is a great thing. So they can hit the ground running. Well, I'm just, I hate that term. Uh, sorry, but uh, because it, it, you know, it assumes. It assumes that you have the information you need to really go and do that. And I almost never feel like I do. But at least uh, if, if I have like two or three options available to me, then I don't always have to pick the most obvious option. So, you know, that's one reason why we use the drama cards in our game is because I say, I want you guys to have the ability to seriously change the narrative. You know, if, you know especially if it's not going in a direction you like. You know, and uh, getting them to use them is like pulling teeth. But uh, but when they do, sometimes it, it's amazing. So yeah, I, I, I like I like them to have a, a lot more control. That I as a you know when I first started out as a GM would have never given them. But as I but over time I have found that it's it, it's more important to let the players have feel like they have the freedom. To change the narrative, okay. When when it, you know, when it suits them, okay. But also when they think it serves the the campaign concept, you know, because the, you, then you got four to six people working on making it a great campaign rather than just you carrying the load as the GM. Right. And if nothing else, as we get older and older and we have more and more responsibilities, it's just easier to, you know, be a little lazy and let the players take the, you know, share the wheel a little bit. And I forget things. <laughs> oh, yeah, same. I'm, I'm, I've am i actually got, well, again, four campaigns is like 
oh crap, what did we do last week? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and some of them I play every other week, and they're like, every t- beginning of every session, okay, guys, do you know where we are? Do you know what we're doing? And they're all like, uh, could you like give me the uh, high-level uh, summary, Bruce? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure I can. I, and it usually avoid, I, I turn to one of the other players, I say, hey, yeah, Sean, tell them what's going on. Because <laughs> sometimes I've forgotten. And they're like, thanks for throwing me under the bus. Yeah, they, Anyways, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you hear this, <sighs> that sigh. Well, no, that was the thing. Josie, when she was still gaming with me, really, I mean, she had a notebook for every campaign. And there was the one time she brought the wrong notebook. And, and because she, it fell on her, she took the role, and all of us, it was the slow turn. <laughs> she just shrunk down. But yeah, keeping... It's also good in the session zero if you can decide, okay, does somebody here want to take notes so we remember what's going on? Yeah. You know, because it's, because if you miss a session, it's bi-weekly. We got that now. The next session that Jeff's running. Now it's been a month. Yeah. It's my next Saturday game is May 28th. So it's going to be a month before all of us are back together in first place. Okay, what were we doing? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I had a player that was like, uh, I have no idea what we're doing. Or where are we and what are you talking about? And I said, this all happened last week. You don't remember any of this. And he's like, no, I don't. And I said, okay, well, then. And, and that's that's what happens when you have four people that are busy doing jobs. You know, they mm. yeah they, they literally lose it, you know, between now well, and... Well, me and you, Bruce, we, we kind of have an excuse. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got my one young co-worker who is a year younger than Shelly. Well, I forgot. I have an excuse. What's yours? <laughs> what do you mean? 53, yo. <laughs> oh, you, you're going to pull that yeah. card. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I don't see that. I don't see that as an excuse. I see that whenever I try to think of names and the and and uh, you know as I said, you know the 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 hard drive was replaced by a floppy drive, so the access is a little slower. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, it's there. or no? What what's my what's mine? Yeah, it's no longer a walk down memory lane. It has to be a 5K fun run. Oh, now I remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, if if you guys have any other notes. Oh no, I think we we that was it. Got the subject right. down cold. So yeah, I hope that. Describing the the idea of the campaign pitch meeting and the and the session zero as as we all or a lot of people are gaining traction with the idea of you know talking with your players ahead of time, especially when it's a new group or new players and you're starting a new campaign, getting together, kind of taking a little bit of a a set methodical go through of the campaigns you want to run and and creating the characters together for that campaign and and can ease you in and help help start off your new campaign at a much smoother start and avoid some complications that would maybe surprise you later. Of course, you're never going to get rid of all your surprises and all your complications, but you can make it a little bit easier and have a little bit of fun. And if you have your own methodology for pitching a campaign or, or doing your session zero, reach out to us. Trav, you know how they can reach us, right? That would be the Fans of the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere, Fringeworthy RPG fans, our Podbean site, tritechsystems.podbean.com, iTunes, because we drop our podcasts there, and if you know us on social media or even our emails, by all means, ask us. We are more than willing to help you out as best we can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and those first three groups he was talking about are actually groups on Facebook. 
Yes, yes. Right. Yeah, there's Facebook groups. You can reach out to us there and tell us what you do or ask questions, and we will be happy to you know, tell you why you're wrong or why you're right. But until then, until we have another topic for you next week, we hope you have fun. We hope you have wonderful start to your campaigns. And we'll talk more next week about something completely different, but also fun. Until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.